Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have a good friend of mine, actually, Rachna, with me. Rachna, you'll have to help me out with your last name because I've always used your daughter's last name. <laughs> yeah, so I, it's Mathur. Rachna Mathur. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, so Rachna and I go back to the day that my oldest daughter turned seven, and I was hosting a birthday party at a park, and my husband was gone at Costco getting all of the food. <laughs> And this is um, reminiscent because I actually think I told the story in like one of my early episodes with another friend who I know locally, Jen Hewish. Um, But basically, my husband showed up in the middle of the birthday party with all of the food. And it was like literally time to eat cake. And we were just bringing all the food. Um, And so all the moms like pitched in and like were unwrapping things and like taking foil and plastic off. And like, I didn't know a single person because we had just changed schools and it was really embarrassing. And then I made really good friends out of the deal. <laughs> We've been friends ever since. <laughs> yes. So that's been, oh my gosh, um, that would have been first grade and that kid is in fifth grade. So is it four or five uh, years? Yeah. It's been about five years now. That's so great. <laughs> Rosh and I know each other because our kids went to the same school, but we've developed a friendship that has, I guess, outlasted the fact that we don't still go to the same, what? Well, weird enough <laughs> twist we of are. events we we all changed schools and then now we're all back together again at a different school and that is like some good fortune I think you know I like it first brought us back together <laughs> so Rachna is brilliant and has had many roles and you currently are juggling several things so do you yeah. want to just talk a little bit about your background and what you're doing and how it all works from home yeah, sure. So my background, um, I started uh, my degrees and background are in computer engineering. I did my bachelor's and master's from Arizona State University. And the first part, I guess, of my career uh, started out at um, Intel. I was there for about a decade, software engineering, product marketing, and then life took its own twists and turns. I, um, after that kind of stint and that time frame there. My husband got a job that took us abroad. We lived in London for a couple of years. So I quit my work and life um, at, at Intel and moved to London. My daughter was really little at that time. She was about, uh, she was 11 months old when we moved there. She, we were there for about three years. And at that time, I think that's where the spark for some of my pivots and changes and life journey happened. I think kids do definitely make a difference in how we structure our lives. And um, that's when I used to spend most of my time on the street of London, because you live in pretty tiny homes. There's like very little you can do inside your home. And I used to spend my time on the street with my daughter. And I felt like it was an education through movement. And I found like a love for, for that with her. And over time, over the last maybe seven, eight years now, I've pivoted um, into uh, this informal education space. And from that, about a couple of years ago, after dabbling and helping other small arts and education companies with their operations, with some of their own teaching. And when I say teaching, I am talking about teaching in STEM. That's I, So I teach STEM subjects in K-6, but I also teach classical Indian dance. So that's where, where my world kind of, in, of teaching are. And I've always enjoyed those spaces. But uh, around 2019, after helping small art and education companies, around 2019 is when I started my own, um, my own company called Stemology Club. And with the focus, um, it really started with our kiddos in school. When, when I was watching them, they were our, our girls, they were in uh, second or first. Yeah, they were first, second. I used to go in and volunteer teaching coding and other kind of uh, computational thinking because 
it was just something that wasn't at the school. And since they didn't have any after school programs, I kicked off this, this company and really enjoyed having our kids in that. And that sort of is where it's taken off um, teaching robotics, AI, um, computational thinking after school to K-6. And from there in this last one year, I also started my doctorate in um, education. And so I'm doing my doctorate at ASU. I'm back to being a sun devil, go sun devils uh, once again. And um, that's kind of taken its own journey. I, I do work from home because it's my own company and it is the studies that I do are hybrid. I have to only go to campus once a month, but I mostly study online. So I have both facets. There's the work from home and then there's the study from home as well. And, and my husband also works from home. So that's been kind of my, my journey. And I dabble in projects and um, work that is related to the education fields, but usually related and connected to STEM education. That's kind of, yeah. Yeah. So when my kids were joining uh, you in your clubs, uh, I think they might have did, was it like a coding originally, yeah, a coding they club? Did. And you were like they gathering did. all the iPads that you could find, like old used iPads. <laughs> um, yes. And then I think they did um, a summer camp with you. It was like books and bots. Books and bots. And so they yeah. read the wild robot book and did right. like really cool stuff with not just robots, but also like, um, they, didn't they make like a trailer for they the book? Yeah, they, they dabbled with so many pieces of technology. They learned how to code um, Lego robotics, um, which is then you're, you're both the engineering and assembly aspects of it, but then also the coding, the software engineering. They also worked on iMovies. They, but the, I think the interesting part about that program, and that's where I'm uh, pursuing my research also is that it was connecting the STEM with the literature study. So looking at our classroom teachers and them being able to take, you know, in that K-6 realm, their literature studies, their book studies, and integrate the STEM learning components with it um, in a way that sort of fits with their day. Otherwise, a lot of times the STEM stuff is like as if it's a thing on its own, but it's really not. It's just, you know, it's just a way of thinking. It's a part of all the other learning. And that allowed for that sort of integration with ELA and with literature. So yeah, that's that's the one that they had done. And they were awesome. They, the kids are, they are so much fun. <laughs> um, that's beautiful though, to think about how you really can integrate the reading components with the science-y stuff mm -hmm. um, where people don't generally go that direction. That's um, right. And then now you, you are fully encompassing K through six because you've got what, a kindergartner. And, I do. And a sixth I, grader. I do. I have a, which is really, um, you know, maybe that's for, for some entrepreneurial journeys. Mine is inspired by very much by my children. And it's funny that, yes, they are on those spectrums of that K-6 kind of what's considered elementary entering middle kindergartner and sixth grader. So they often are my guinea pigs. <laughs> well, I mean, let's just talk about your son for a second. <laughs> I mean, what do you call it? Your technology graveyard? Yes, I literally call it. Yeah, he is. Um, and that that's comes with with this work and the space, which it, because all of it is in the house, which is one beauty part of it. There's the equipment and technology. He's kind of just seen that. Um, through the pandemic, especially because I stopped going into the classroom. All my stuff was at home. I was online. So all these things are laying around. So he's, you know, dabbled and been fascinated with it. But then as a result, he has, I, he has this like utter fascination with old technology, like, and he, and that's our tech graveyard. So over time, people got to know about this and they donated all their old equipment. And a lot of the times it's working and he spends most of his time. It's almost like he treats 
that technical technical equipment like they were Legos. And he just tries to see what connects with what. And so that's our technical graveyard that exists in my house. It's just literally scattered wires and plugs and things everywhere. I feel like I saw <laughs> you post a home. picture one time. Did you have like a tower of just like Apple boxes one time? Like just... <laughs> We have, we are, it's so funny. We're such an Apple family. Um, My husband's work also is very connected to the Apple ecosystem. We've always had Apple, like working with the tablets, iPads, that's what I teach with. That's what I choose to teach with. That's what I work on. So all of this, I've gotten, you collected boxes. I don't know, somehow we managed to keep those boxes over the last, you know, decade plus. And then again, people saw that picture. So they started saving their boxes and contributing it to us. So we made a wall of like Apple boxes. And then of course, this child comes along and he is like, he he just had this argument with me, me the other day before brushing. I'm like, this is such an early morning argument. He says, I think it's time that you switch to Android. And I'm like, what do you even know? And he's five for the record for everybody here. And I said, well, we have everything Apple in our house. And he goes, no, you don't. He says, the Alexas are not by Apple. Those are Android based. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> so despite the Apple boxes and all the Apple fandom, we have an Android fan over in our house. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And does he usually take things apart or fix them? Mostly take them apart. There's the occasional fixing. In his mind, it's fixing. All I see is it was taken apart. (laughs) (laughs) But he's definitely doing both. Um, I've seen he has reconnected some Bluetooth gear that we didn't know worked. So he's, he's really fascinated by how things pair um, and not just physical connectivity, but that, that virtual life connectivity. I wonder how much of that, you know, is so, I I imagine it is influenced by this pandemic life where you're in the home. And he, he, that was one of the things that he noticed was, oh, when he, the, when the pandemic happened, he was three and he said, well, you know, how come everybody else gets a device and like sisters on school device and mom's got her device and dad and everyone has at least two. They've got a phone and maybe, you know, a tablet or a laptop. So he's starting to feel like, how come, you know, I'm not included in that. So he's created his own world in this at home pandemic tech life that we have, I guess. <laughs> And this is really his first year now. I mean, he had been at the preschool when my daughter was in the preschool, but then you guys were like home, home for two years, right? Yes. Yeah, we have been. And then since then, um, what's interesting is like my husband, um, he, Suraj, he worked from home. Uh, he actually, he used to work from home before we went to, until we were in London and um, from London, we went to Austin all that time, like till London, he worked from home for many, many years. And then come Austin and coming back to Arizona, he has been online. So pre pand I mean, not online, he's been in person. So even pre-pandemic, he was doing the one hour travel and one hour travel back and getting stuck in traffic. So our lives were typically like um I I was I was not able to work then so he was coming home super late and when the pandemic happened not only did that cause a shift in his current company like his previous company but it just changed how we all worked as well so um he run of um all of us were at home then at that point from then onwards and even now <laughs> we're still all at home it sounds like your husband has enough um work from home experience that I should do a totally separate episode with him one of these days. Yeah. Uh, he really, how he know, feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? And I think that's interesting too, because he had that experience prior to going into the pandemic. Um, he started working from home in 2010. Okay. So he was working and then he 
went back to working in person probably around 2016 or so for a stint until the pandemic happened. So was the pandemic the main driving force for you basically bringing everything home? Because you were trying to be in the classrooms, right? Is it changing your model for your whole business plan now? Yeah, that's such a good question. It has definitely, I think that had it not been for the pandemic, maybe that's its own, you know, it's it's a strange path. Um, I may not have considered the doctorate because of how busy that a business entrepreneurial venture is not only from just you're physically going to places. I was lugging the equipment, um, but then a lot of it is spent in the, all the operational time and trying to run anything. Um, and and people like myself, you know, like you, you're we're when and I think I think a lot. This is a the case for many entrepreneurs who just come through like this tend to be highly creative and the operational part is like the most boring part of running anything. And so I felt like, you know, if I, if it wasn't for that, I would probably be a little more focused on building that um, after school programs. Like I have a handful and, and really reaching out to more and more schools, but I took a pivot probably. Yeah. I'd say part of it has to do with the pandemic having started this research and I've pivoted more into the professional development realm for teachers and even um, oh, some of the research that's kind of around the STEM education and K-12. And uh, I could have gone differently. I think had it been and after, after the pandemic, when it comes to the in-person kind of classroom programs that um, has, has shifted. I do a lot more, um, and a lot more globally online. So I have uh, through a company called Nepris. I often volunteer my time and do segments on computational thinking, robotics. Sometimes I talk about like how coding is used with um, arts, which really speaks to myself too, like having the coding background and the artistic background. And when I do that, they I don't even know sometimes where the kids are connecting from. I just get online like this on Zoom. They have they they have created the platform and then I'll find out, oh, they're like, you know, one time I got on and there were like 400 kids from all over the U.S. And I had no idea there were going to be that many. And sometimes they also don't know who's going to show up to these kind of things. And suddenly we had 400 people that are, you know, there. So um, that I think has made for a very interesting opportunity um, globally, kind of connecting with people, people connecting with me and me learning from them. So uh, I might not have kind of ventured out that way if it wasn't. And now you're in this doctorate program and then you've made connections and you want to talk about your newest venture? Sure. So as part of my, you know, this is also wonderful too, because all of these things that I'm doing allow for me to work from home. But again, I think it's because a lot of mindset shift happened with it. Um, these, these are all university connected projects. And in the past, um, I feel like I would have to be going to campus. I would be in an office. I would have to drive all the way to like from, from like the East Valley, drive all the way to Tempe, drive all the way to wherever it might be. So now these projects that I'm doing, I'm working on two kind of core ones with Arizona State University. One as, as employed as my own company is with Con World School. And I'm working on the international um, student strategy in Con World School, which is um, actually opening on Monday, uh, is the first day of school. And if anyone's wondering, Khan World School, yes, it's part of the whole, like if anyone's familiar with Khan Academy, it is Saul Khan's baby. And he has partnered with ASU to create this kind of global schooling system. And so we have kids from all over the world that will be um, attending uh, starting Monday. Okay, so is the Khan, is it World School? Con World School, yes. Is it a, like a core subjects? Is it like K through twelve, like regular school, or is it um, supplemental? 
Nope, it's core schooling. So uh, it is a replacement to going to a full-time like brick and mortar or even other virtual schools. It is a virtual global school that is from ninth through 12th right now. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that they have this dream to expand it further. Um, what, you know, ASU has been doing virtual school for a long time, much before the pandemic, which is right. why they partnered with ASUs because they have the um, the infrastructure, the operations and the knowledge to run a school online and what right. that means to have a community. How do you actually bridge all these components together and make it a real school? Right. So, we have those preparatory schools like the ASU prep um, K through 12 uh, schools near us. Um, yes. I live really close to one actually. And my friends who had kids enrolled there, they were like ready to go when the pandemic mm-hmm. shut everyone down. They were like, we know what to do right now. And we had, That's they right. had everything ready. Um, good. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah, for them. Exactly. And so, and, and a lot of people turned um, during the pandemic, a lot of people turned to Khan Academy all over the world because it was a free platform. It had great um, learning content. And I personally, the reason I jumped on this project is I'm such a fan of that model of, mm-hmm. of Saul Khan himself, of that learning model, of this idea of mastery-based learning, um, and then this ability for students to kind of rewind, go ahead, or, you know, what they found through all their studies is more often than not, when you are able to spend that time and also fill in the gaps of your knowledge, you know, it's literally our schooling tends to be Swiss cheese knowledge. You get 80%, you get 90, you get 70 and you just move on. And it's like, what happened to that, you know, 10 to 30% that you missed mm-hmm. that be foundational, especially in mathematics and certain science subjects, those tend to be foundational things. And if you miss them, you're building on a shaky foundation. Well, right. that whole con Academy, and that's what I loved about it was it's always like, well, first of all, you keep going back and forth and the students that you, what you see is they actually tend to accelerate a lot faster because you're building your foundational skills really well. So, um, you know, I, I'm just, I was such a fan of it. So I jumped onto this whole project and it launches on, on Monday and hopefully we're going to start to see a truly global school, which is really exciting. They're going to be about uh, 10, uh, about eight to 10 countries represented. And I thought how fascinating that'll be, you know, in the future to have this kind of a model where it, it, it speaks to this whole at-home life too. And where students have this opportunity to pursue all these other interests outside of school and to be able to flexibly adjust their school around those schedules. Right. So, Which is what I think, um, you know, to defend the homeschoolers out there, because I came from that background. When you do that intentionally, it can be a wonderful thing. So many opportunities, so much flexibility. I think the reason that everyone struggled so much with online school in the last two years is because no one was ready. No one was intentional. Like, you know, people were just trying to slap things together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really hard. It was, it was so, so tough on our on our teachers, on our families, and um, especially when you're coming from such a mix of circumstances, um, having to, some of the companies, despite the pandemic, had not created that flexibility around like actually working from home or what that meant or how you were going to do it. And in some cases, you just couldn't because of the kind of work it was. So that's, that's like, a that's something that has to continue to be thought through and ironed out. And sometimes these kind of systems can, I think, 
they offer that sort of flexibility when you have a truly well-done online learning system versus, you know, what we had to do was reactive. That's understood that, you know, we did our best and that was a slap together, as you said. But now we have this opportunity that take the models that have worked like that at ASU, which has been doing before pandemic, Khan Academy. This is such kind of like the merging of two pretty great worlds and, you know, look at education intentionally online. And then I feel like, you know, that um, there's a lot of change that comes with that as a family, as a unit. That's something even I'm wrapping my mind around. Like if we go to a hybrid model, if I go to an online model, what does that mean for my family? So things that I think about. Is there anything about the Khan Academy or the, sorry, Khan World School that you think is really like actively fixing those problems or, you know, addressing them at least? I think that, so it depends how you look at this. There are a few things, um, and, I, and I'm cautious to how I say it because I feel like ev- there are so many types of learning systems and not everyone is for everyone, right? Right. That's where part of this is um, Conroe School currently, and it could, it's I expect it to change over time as it will, but right now it's targeted as an honors program within the ASU prep digital environment. So also that, you know, that's for that student that's curious, that's, you know, looking to get ahead that might be even trying to get into college level courses. So it might be designed around that, that sort of a personality at that time. So it does kind of, in it, it's addressing a certain set of problems. They're just not everyone's problems. That's one of them. That's where right. students are looking for that. The other thing that it, I think it helps is where this goes to like your homeschooling community too. It's like the, these, these spaces and communities and families that have, that desire to have these flexible schedules that become difficult when you're bound to brick and mortar and maybe, or it's a family that travels a lot, whatever it may be, this helps to kind of address those things. But in a way that I feel like in the past, you know, the online schooling, there are not to say there are online schooling models right now that have existed for a decade or so. That's still, I think, pretty young in the space of education as a whole. So these things are all coming together to finally reach these pockets but what ends up happening I think what changes is when you you might have had families like homeschoolers and those looking for flexible kind of learning suddenly it opens up a new world to the rest of us who may not have thought of that and I don't think we ever thought we were gonna you know hop around different places or it changes how I might want to work. It changes how I think I might want to structure my life or the kind of other external to school activities my kids could do now that this is a actual viable option. And Mm -hmm. the other thing that I think the real hook for me about Con World School over everything has been what their Socratic seminar. And that model is the Socratic seminar model. Like you'll see it in college, you see it in some of the schools, but I like how wonderful is is it that you are engaging in this deep dialogue on a daily basis. It's it's called their daily seminar with students from all over the world that which creates, you know, a space for debate, it's a space for tolerance for one another and the ability to actually communicate with different cultures and, and really be able to understand each other, which is so important in this kind of highly polarized life we live in. So I feel like there are problems that it's addressing that we don't even know it's addressing. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I think that it will definitely, you're, as we see it grow, we're going to see how, you know, how it shifts and how it kind of brings people together. 
So your kids are going to school physically in person. Like I've seen them there. Yes. <laughs> My kids are in person right now, the kindergartner and a sixth grader that are in person. But this my sixth grader is looking at, um, you know, down the line, like in the seventh, because this starts in high school What's you, next year. Yeah. yeah. What do we do now? So that might be um, that will help us as well. Like, I think we have to start having these serious thoughts about what that means for uh, a family that, well, we have family all over the world mm-hmm. and we usually can't think of meeting them because of how taxing that is on a school schedule. Essentially, yeah. At this point, since both of us work from home, it's school that binds us to the time and place. Okay, that yeah, change. Yeah, I think that'll change for like met, for families that have family in other parts of the world or parts of the country and stuff like that. That so. you could even like spend six months of the year and still. Well, I mean, maybe I don't know. Are your classes synchronous? Are they in real time or are they all like asynchronous? So the World School is going to have synchronous components, but what's kind of amazing about it is because they have people from all over the world, they have split the time zones. Oh, good. So they're addressing, you know, so the the student in India has the op- the option to pick which, you know, seminar they're going to attend. Now, I think to build, build, and these are always the tough parts, now to build relationships in a virtual environment, that does require sticking to the same synchronous. Right. And then, yeah, you want that for like the same cohort mm-hmm. and to have those rich dialogues. But- the great thing is it also caters to the, I have to travel. I have to go here. So I need to switch up my mm-hmm. schedule for one, one or two weeks. And everyone's fine with that. Right. Thing. That's what's really nice about it. That is really cool. Um, here in Arizona, we just recently, um, well, I think the, the East Valley, I think over the course of the last several years have been adapting um, or adopting the what do they call it? The modified year round calendar. So we mm-hmm. actually only have more like two months or a little bit less for our summer break, but then we have longer um, breaks. So that actually binds us to Arizona longer in the year um, oh, with the opportunity to travel, of course, like say for two weeks here and there in October and March. Um, but that has been a little bit of a bummer when it comes to like, you know, we have family up north and out east who, you know, are still vacationing in the month of August. <laughs> and we're like, right. oh, we can't go. <laughs> that is so right. And I think that this might, you know, I'd love to see how this might change those kind of opportunities, especially when um, with Conroe School specifically, like in thinking about Arizona and where we're at, I think over time, what we're going to see is you will, you will see people um, that hit like a certain number or volume within regions. So if we get to a point, you know, Arizona be coming out of this partnership with ASU, we do have a strong community of Arizona-based residents. So the the possibility of meeting in person becomes like a viable thing and a truly mm-hmm. hybrid kind of a setup, like pods that start to develop. So the hope is like maybe as we go country to country, there's this opportunity that people have these pods that they can meet in person when they need to, but then they have this chance also that, okay, well, I need to travel or like you've got family that's up north or family that's got a different vacation schedule in our slowly shrinking world, you know, that mm-hmm. becomes possible then. Um, My yeah. The third person that I inter- ever interviewed was Amber Van Hale. She's a teacher up in Wisconsin and she is an online school teacher. Like the, the state of Wisconsin offers online school um, but they would get together and I don't know if they'd actually do prom. I feel like they did like several 
things like events throughout the year so that they could get together in person optionally, Mm -hmm. um, maybe once every couple of months, which was kind of nice. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the model that's going to follow here as well, is that there's going to be this opportunity to meet in person for celebrations, for events. Um, and then, you know, what does that mean on the global platform? We'd have to see. I think that becomes, for now, it's still mm-hmm. a stretch to fly. And what does it mean to meet up? Um, I think you're going to see like really much further out. And this is the part that I love the whole uh, emerging tech, high tech space, which is some of my focus and in my STEM teaching too, AI, all of these things. But there are so many cutting edge um, sort of advancements being made in travel as well. Like we keep, I've been hearing for, I think a good 10, 20, maybe years, I don't know about how Boeing and all these like aerospace companies are going to shorten that that time of travel. So right now, for example, from Arizona to India, it's like this, uh, you know, 15 to 19 hour, just the flight time travels that could happen from varying parts. There's talk about like, oh, it will come down to like five, six hours. So when those types of things change, when costs change, this is a huge and long process. Most of it's tied to money and cost. And we might start to see like how we, how we physically meet. But until then, what's amazing is in the ed tech space, the virtual connectivity and that uh, creation is changing things like, I don't know how I feel about the metaverse, but that is an example about of how one actually meets. Or I remember our kids went to a birthday party and it was virtual and how they met in a virtual space. Mm-hmm. And that those are examples of like how I think the next gen is going to view connectivity differently anyways, you know, right. so they aren't looking at it. Like I have to be in the same space we do. I don't know how they perceive it. Well, being part of the world school concept is just nice. And as far as globally being more diverse, like mm-hmm. you're talking about, like, it would be nice to meet in person, but it's also really, really cool for kids to actually connect and talk with people from the other side of the world. Yeah. And it's, it's, and to, to, hear real struggles, real circumstances that each student is kind of bringing into that space. Um, We have students that are going to join us from Ukraine. Now they are in the middle of a war. And it's, I think, going to be such a humbling experience for all the students that get to be in this space to learn directly from a real story, a real person, Mm -hmm. um, and no uh, authentic information. And it's hard to decipher that in the world of media right now to even figure it out. So this is creating that kind of this platform for these students to meet each other and learn about each other and have tolerance for each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to change gears. We're going to talk about how has your working and studying from home changed in the last year um, between your kids being at home and now in school during the day while you two are working? Oh, my gosh. I feel like it must be just like the same it is for everyone where you've got like just now you're going to be editing this video and cutting out the popping head of my son who just literally, you know, he needed something. And that became, however, became the accepted norm. And I still feel like there, you know, this is differing tolerances within companies, but that was the case when both my husband and I, um, you know, during the pandemic, it meant a lot of like lap time with child and the, you know, he was so small, he was three Mm -hmm. when, when the pandemic happened. So there's anyone with small kids, it was like, how long were you going to leave them on YouTube? (laughs) 
and we did we did i'm not saying that we totally like thank you youtube thank you thank you all of the online you know wonderful apps that were created for small children but that was challenging with them but i think it pushed us to reevaluate our schedules and what we were doing it also involved sort of breaking our mental concepts of traditional working and we have both i mean sewerage has had more of the non you know the work from home kind of a lifestyle but even then it was still like you know still pretty nine to five and he i felt like he was online all the time that was terrible i think because there were there were not a whole bunch of people online so i felt like that the it was almost like you were taken advantage of i feel like in the pandemic that did happen but because everybody was online everyone in at least in our workspaces had to realize that we need a point that we stop Otherwise, this is like ridiculous. And I felt like prior to the pandemic, that work from home was scattered kind of a concept. And I found that sewage was working an insane amount more. Now, during the pandemic, we did initially work a lot because we were trying to keep things together. People were trying to make sure people don't lose jobs, that you know your team stays together. All that was there. But over time, like I felt like people were coming to, okay, we have to respect a, a point of time that we have to stop, or we have to respect that they're, you know, you got to pop out for the kids. They're at home. They have to be fed. They have to go to, you know, they have to learn online, whatever it might be. But post that you asked kind of in contrast, I, that was definitely challenging, but it involved a lot of restructuring of our lifestyle post that, you know, them going back to school in person, we stayed, we still are working from home. Um, and that's because, you know, sewage actually switched jobs and that was in part intentional just due to the intensity of our lives too. It was part two, he switched into uh, education strategy. He also switched because it afforded more flexibility mm-hmm. with the kids going back to school schedule. So now we've set it up that I don't take any meetings before nine ever. And I, and I'll push them as far as I can to like nine 30, 10 ish nine is like the earliest I'll start a meeting with some exceptions because I do drop off, but then okay. he starts his workday super early. Um, but he also picked a company that happens to be headquartered in Minneapolis. So okay. they start the workday early. So a lot of this was, I would say this is not choice. This was like the universe helping us out. <laughs> it's some, some really good luck and good fortune too. So he starts his day around like five or so. And he ends by two 30 ish, maybe mm-hmm. three, and then he gets the kids. So right. I end up working. So that's how we, we have restructured our lives. We've asked for certain allowances from our different work environments. I have a lot of freedom because I run my own space and my own company. So I also ch- take on the projects that I know are going to respect my mom life first. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, and I feel like more and more people that I, at least I'm, I don't know, education is a different space to work in, which I do love. Um, people are, you know, they work with kids often. They're working with students or working with families. So mm-hmm. the idea of accepting your runaround with the children is a little bit easier right. than it was like at Intel. And now they're much yeah, better. I'm saying when I worked at Intel, now you see so much shift in the industry, but that wasn't like the case before. <laughs> yeah. Well, companies like that now, <clears throat> there's more of the um, the work from home flexibility too. Yeah. Than you probably you, had when you worked there. Oh yeah. Huge amount of, I mean, I was lucky again. I always say like, I was super lucky because I had a manager. It always came down to your own team and manager, but my manager, I remember when I was uh, pregnant with my first, he let me work from home for two months. Oh, really? 
two or three months just because I couldn't um I couldn't function in the work environment because I was so sick all the time. Oh, so okay. he said like it's better off that you can get something done at home. So right. let me go home then and it was okay. But awesome. that was super manager to manager. Now I think what you see is it's a little more global across a company, which wasn't mm-hmm. the case before. So so the whole thing about us dropping off and picking up the kids at school, and we're also affected by the same thing because we're at the same school right now, um, is our school doesn't have busing for us because I think both of our families live outside of the boundaries for the bus, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. So that's always, um, we always thought about that. We were like, okay, um, that presents its own kind of set of issues where you, again, you have to factor that into your physical travel into the time and, yeah. you know, how you select schools, how you go, where you do that. I think an online schooling can alleviate some of yeah. that. My um, brother asked me the other day, he's like, why don't you just have a normal job? And I'm like, I have to bring my kids to and from school. I mean, it pretty I, much affects things. And I have jobs that fit into that lifestyle. It's just, they're not normal you know, yeah, I, I, I question normal now. And right. I think that um, in that same light, I probably I don't either, because I structure it a little to my life. I also pick what I believe in. And um, that, you know, when when I was in a normal job in a company, then it meant that you are going with the projects that are part of that, you know, cycle of work that's happening there. I don't have to do that now. Hmm. <laughs> it's not as consistent though, as, as being in the work environment in that sense and like tied to it, but this is my new normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I call it, so that's really funny that you called it not normal and you're right. I think it's from a true, I, I expect the next gen to perceive this as the normal because there are a lot more integrative kind of ways of approaching work. It's harder to put a person in a bucket. Like it's harder to put me in a bucket. Like, wait, so are you an engineer? Are you doing STEM or are you doing international school design? It's like, well, you know, well, yes, yes, yes. Kind yes. Of. And tell them. <laughs> yeah. So you wrote on my uh, guest interest forum that you're working about 60 hours a week. How are you yeah. dividing? You've got about three or four different things happening. How are you splitting that time right now? Uh, yeah, that's, I feel like it's so funny that I feel like every month, I relook at my thing and I rewrite everything down and go, is my calendar making sense? So there is a lot of reevaluation. I think it has taken me a good one year to even figure out how to balance all these different components, like the business, the research and life. Um, So school, work and my family, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of friction. I can't say it was like, it was, you know, (laughs) we was trial by a trial and error kind of a situation yeah. tried something and I was like, Oh, this schedule, this setup doesn't work. Um, how I split my hours. Sometimes I, you know, I, I started off with, okay, the kids are in school. Let's maximize those hours. But then, um, those are work hours. And when I tried to fit my schooling hours into it, I was mucking up my, some of my work and missing things. I ended up, then I said, all right, well, I will end up working. And this is where I'm at today. I, try to stick all of my work hours and blocks in the day, like in your traditional, for me, traditional is like nine to five. That's mm-hmm. why sewage picks up the kids after okay. three. Yep. But then when they sleep, I study from nine till about 12 or one. And okay. that's how I split my, how I figure out 60 hours. I've also had to force myself to be way more efficient, um, which meant like some days I just want to sit around and do Wordle <laughs> 
I mean, word only takes like two minutes, but yeah, but I want to add that and like word wipe. I kind of got addicted to the word wipe game. So I'll do that just to kind of like as a brain break, or I will binge something, but that I, I've learned that I, I go through those periods, but I have to, I almost have to assign a time for that too. I have to be tight about it to try to work in 60 hours in the week. And I cut out starting next week, I cut out everything from my life till December, except anything to do with the kids. That's it. Like straight, like parties, events, um, any one-off kind of, uh, like sometimes I'm invited for workshops and other things. I cut all of it out until it's directly tied to my work, to my study or to my kids. So Mm -hmm. it means I will, I will pick the, the karate tournament over, you know, some, some work item okay. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. So that's, a, that's like the only way I could do it. So what happens in December? Are you, are you still going to be in school next spring or are well, you no, be finishing? Yeah, I'm, I'm in school till 2024, but December is when I, I give myself that space. So I've mentally figured out that, okay, I had a month off now. So I took advantage of that in December. I'll have a month off mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and then I won't. And when it comes from when I go between semesters, sometimes I have only a week mm-hmm. and that's the only time I have off. So I will, you know, go hard at it during these months. And then I will force myself to learn how to back off and just take it easy in those few weeks that I have off. And that's kind of where it's at. So we reconnected at like the perfect time because you just happened to be between semesters, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. I don't know. I don't even remember exactly how it worked out that we that I texted you and I don't know, but somehow, um, one day I was, I don't know if I was, how did this work? How did we, we were talking I just, about changing. School. We were talking about your podcast. No, we were talking were about we? probably we we're talking that we're talking about working from home and then your podcast. And then I was like, Oh, we should do this. Then. And then, and then one day I was like, Hey, I'm at the park with my kids, but my phone is dying. Maybe we could, you know, get to, together and talk about, you know, possibly switching schools. And my phone died before you could even like reply. <laughs> and so you showed up at the it park up. and that was awesome. Up. So, yeah, that's where I, and to me, like to, as an example, like this conversation with you is where I place my importance and I make it really clear that during the semester. So this wouldn't have mattered if it was this week, if you asked me two months from now, I would do it too. And that's where I keep aside my time is for, I make sure with my closest friends and the people that I love that I'm affording that time that I need to and anything else extraneous I cut out then which I didn't before now I have to I don't have a choice if I want to work 60 hours and run around all the activities with the kids so um yeah and that was I can't say that that was direct for me it was like you know it took its path it took me a year to get to some sort of semblance of how I'm going to do it and also took a lot of shift for Suraj you know we've learned where to let go okay, the house, I have to like rewire my brain to deal with the mess in the house and go, okay, well, if someone shows up, you know, I will, it is what it is. Yeah, we're friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So I feel like there's like a lot of like, let go, a lot of restructuring, a lot of simplifying. So for example, Indian cooking tends to be like this big ordeal. Well, we simplified it. Okay. <laughs> you know, we had to let go. Okay. How do we change up our food style? Mm. So we changed up how we cook. We changed up, um, some of our routines, um, in how we like go about our day or the things that we care about. We, we have to let go a lot of stuff and just say, eh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And outsource. I outsource to the grandparents. Okay, who, good. You know, we, who will end up feeding them sugar the whole evening, but then I had to let go. <laughs> you have a local said, family here, right? 
Yeah, I've got family here. And, you know, there's a lot of the whole, like, there was a lot of sugar that evening. And we're like, you know what? It's okay. They're going to survive it. They're, they're also eating healthy. So a lot of, I think, has been an internal rewiring of how I perceive things and its importance, its priority. And really, you know, is it a big deal in my head? I think it is. And then a lot of it's been just an internal reflection and change, I guess. <laughs> so you, you've reconsidered, you know, some of your, I don't know, priorities, I guess. For sure. Definitely reconsidered priorities. And they're typically like such minor things too, that I assign like some great value to like, for example, the, you know, just the cleanliness, right. It's really frustrating sometimes. And then going, you know what, I have to like find my own Zen in this and just step over it and keep going, like step over that leg. and keep going. And you know, I'll go with the daily, like clean it up, clean it up. And then I'm like, okay, you know what, let's just keep the peace. <laughs> Can we just talk about your living room for a second? Why? Do you still have a huge play structure in your house? I do. Slightly dangerous, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) And this happened literally right before the pandemic, because I think we came over and we walked in one day and it was like an outdoor play center inside of your house, which was amazing. So that's an example of like, I felt like a rewiring of my little like world. And I, I, I do struggle with a lot of perfectionism, like all my life to the point that it's not a good thing at all. It's crippling. It stops me from doing stuff. So I have had to like constantly tell myself that when you get to 80%, let go of whatever the 20%, you can do it in the next cycle, be it work, be it the house cleaning, for example, uh, the food, whatever it is, this like, you can't, you know, I could, I was spreading myself so thin. So that like, at that point, you know, I had this grand thing, like we're going to have this living room. That's going to have this great furniture. It's going to like have people. And then I said, you know what, what am I doing? There's forget it. So instead of buying any furniture, there's no furniture in that living room for those that are listening. It's completely empty. I didn't do, um, any sofas, coffee tables. I don't even have a coffee table in my main room. I don't have a TV. I don't have a dining table. I have a giant outdoor play structure inside that was designed for the inside. And that's what we chose at this point in time in our lives um, in that kind of joy for the kids. And we don't have any other furniture. So it is like a direct replacement. (laughs) That's what's in there. And so that was like an example of like me having to let go of what I thought a living room should look like, what a family space should look like. And I was like, well, this is my family space is a giant play structure where we were all a little jealous. (laughs) (laughs) let's not lie um especially when I mean I was researching like what kind of things could I even set in my garage I have a 10 foot wide backyard I don't even I can't put anything in there so yeah I definitely (laughs) was thinking that a few times oh my goodness we're gonna have to wrap it up pretty soon because I know that you and I both need to run and get kids right um yeah I do like to usually ask what kind of advice do you give people who are thinking about working from home for the first time? Um, so if this is very new to you and that's interesting because that's an interesting question because so much has shifted, you know, mm-hmm. this question were asked a couple of years ago, there was maybe a lot less known about how to do it. Now I feel like you can at least get online and find information through you. You have this like wonderful podcast that allows people to like explore these tips or lighting or whatever it might be. But I can only speak, I think I come from the perspective, if I were to say something to someone, I'd have to think about the context. For me, I would say, 
someone who is in a similar context, family, um, I'm going to go with mom because that's what I understand. But like, if, if you're trying to balance that, you know, two parent family structure, um, or even a single parent family structure, some of the things that coming in new to it, um, I might say really the most important thing that I struggled with was finding time for myself in a work from home environment. And, um, I feel like you can get tips and tricks on literally everything else you do on self-care, but it's hard. Like you hear those words. I feel like I hear those words from other people, but it took a lot of intentionality for me to find grace for my mistakes because I noticed them so much more in the home-based environment, ranging from physical things around me. Like I said, cleanliness or cooking or kids, it was all, it was no longer separated. It wasn't like I could go to an office and just separate that. It felt like all of it was all together. So I think I had to I didn't happen over time. It's taken me a year and a half to train myself for, for grace for myself, for my mistakes and for self-care, which um, I still have to have people remind me. It happens all the time. Um, I have people like, well, my husband reminds me all the time or uh, my cohort of students, they remind each other. Um, so I would say that that is really important because um, in a work from home environment, there's no clear end. <laughs> to where your day starts or ends. And, and that's another thing is maybe setting those boundaries um, to your schedule. I would say that would be another one that's really helpful, if you, especially if you're like in an entrepreneurial kind of work environment. I usually spend a lot more time asking people about their physical space. Like, where do you work from? Uh, do you work in a, do, do you and your husband each have like your own office or are you working in a common area? Um, we do. This is actually my husband's office and his artwork back here and um, his setup. And he I'm standing right now. So he likes a standing desk setup. And this is a bedroom. This used to be a bedroom. We never used it as a bedroom. But it was meant to be like when um, family visited. He's almost always had it set up as an office because of having to work from home from the past too, even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. In my case, I felt like I, for the longest time, was floating around, which was really uncomfortable. It felt really disorienting because I've got my, you know, I never really had a space. And it meant like the kids were always in my face for everything, especially during the pandemic. You know, it was like, I want this or I need that or I got to go to the bathroom, (laughs) whatever it was. There was no like my husband could just shut his door. I don't know why it I did not just say I need a room. Like I could have picked a bedroom or anything. I just would work on the dining table. Like I think a lot of parents were just so many. I I kept on seeing pictures during the pandemics of moms on dining tables with their kids literally hanging off of them. That was me. My, he was three. He was literally like hanging off my shoulder. So I had to like cut so much of my work schedule to do anything, but I was also, you know, I was, I was lucky that I could. But then it was Suraj who saw, and he finally, one day, he took one of the rooms um, that and just emptied it all out and stuck the dining table that wasn't being used because we have a giant play structure in the house. <laughs> it was a dining table that was just off on the side. And he turned that dining table into a workspace, but he clean, he gutted the whole place out, just dumped the stuff into like another room. Okay. Let's be real. It's not clean. It's just went from one to dumped into another room, which was fine. Like, let go, let go, (laughs) just let go. And he created a workspace. He, he gave me his, he took his, like, I don't know if Jamf is hearing this, but he took some of his Jamf work from home setup and gave it to me instead. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Jam helped provide a work from home setup. He had a previous one. So he, he just helped mix and match and gave me some of his keyboard, his monitor. And then I work off of a dining table in a giant room, but a giant dining table for that matter. <laughs> and it's comfortable for you. You're not like getting strain or anything. It is not smart. So I would not recommend it. I, what I do need to do that can fix some of the like ergonomics is if I get a, a keyboard tray and just um, mount it underneath the dining table, that will actually like follow the, like the right angles that you're supposed to have when you're working. Mm-hmm. That would fix that. So because with your history at Intel, I know that they were really into ergonomics, right? So you they were really know oh my God. a lot of the good things. It's just a matter oh, of yeah. them. I spend a lot of time working at my dining room table right now as well. Mostly just because sometimes I get sick of being in the closet where I'm at and I want to <laughs> be around my family. And there's certain tasks I can do. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not I have a tall table. I don't know, is that countertop height? Um, and yeah. so I end up putting my feet up and then I like I did. I work off. I work off an island. Sometimes the counter islands. I work off the sofa a lot of times with it in the lap. Mm-hmm. But then if I'm doing um, non-ergonomic postures, I think like it's helpful. Like I have the pieces of technology around me remind me to stand up. <laughs> oh right. Okay. Yeah. So I think like if the other things that help me is I do have you know, other pieces, like even if you don't have other wearables, your laptop will, you know, you can have enough apps that remind you of certain mm-hmm. things. So, mm-hmm. um, I do have a wearable. I have the watch. So it does tell me stand up and do that. And then it yep. reminds me to do that. So I've been ignoring it more often lately, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Sometimes I do the breathing thing for a minute, but mm-hmm. I, but you're right. The dining table, even though I know this and I have worked at Intel and I know what ergonomics looks like, and I went through all the trouble of setting up an ergonomic setup for my daughter. <laughs> this is where I feel like that just parental thing happens. You know, when it comes to me doing it for myself, I will have to call in April to help me. <laughs> Can you use your daughter's setup or is it too short for you? Uh, for uh, You mean like uh, her setup? Yeah, the shorter one. Is it? Uh, wait, what? Uh, yeah, it, uh, yes, exactly. It's too short for me. And she, so she, I have set up an entire ergonomic thing for her during the pandemic that she worked in for the entire time. I thought of just going into her little table setup, which she had, but it's all too small. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I have my dining table, which now that you said it, I should buy a keyboard tray and mount it underneath. And I feel like that alone, plus a little bit of the lighting that needs to be fixed is kind of is good enough with some virtual. I don't have, this is a real background. I just, you know, the virtual backgrounds are great. I feel like we had an extra under the table keyboard tray, but I think I gave it away in the Binothing project. If I find it, I will let you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. That will probably save, you know, when I do um, a lot of my doctoral work has uh, led to a lot of writing. I would say prior to that, even with this kind of work setup. Um, I, you know, it's not as much like I still have moments, but when you're writing it, like actual papers and stuff, I can't lose my focus, which has been really hard. Cause I feel like I'm a squirrel until I started this degree. I'm like, you know, distracted and doing so many things. I can't operate like that anymore. That's why I have to be really strict about my block times. Mm-hmm. So I can go four hours without moving. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll try to remember to get up, but I do in that case, the ergonomics becomes very important because I'm just literally typing for that yep. entire time. Yeah. So yeah. I also am writing a lot and I do most of mine at night as well. Um, have you ever tried implementing like the voice recognition technology for any of your writing or does that still create too much work with the editing afterward? 
<laughs> so that's such a great question because that was literally what I was pondering at the end of last semester, which was July. And it was like two weeks out from the final uh, write-up. And my professor was like, yeah, no, you don't need to change all this. And I was going, oh my God, I can't change all this right now. And my friend called me and she said, she she recommended um, Otter AI. That's same what I use, Otter yeah. AI. She just said, I would recommend that, that you just go ahead and walk around as you're doing your stuff and verbalize the the text because it wasn't academic writing. If it was academic writing, I think you have to be sitting down. But this was more of um, what it could be done in narrative style. And so she took that and edited. it. So I tried. I tried the like record and edit. And I was I think I became so conscious of my ums and uhs that were in between that I could have easily cleaned up that I didn't figure out. But to your point, I feel like I, if I practice it, it can give me an advantage for the busy life we have mm -hmm. to be able to sort of record and just edit after the fact. And I am going to try that this semester for content that doesn't require, you know, academic writing to go with Otter AI, edit that and see if I can just use that for like some mm -hmm. of my journal work. I, like I, use, that. I use Otter AI. It's not perfect um, by any means. Other people use Rev. Um, I've heard Rev recommended a lot. Rev, you can pay someone to do the actual um, cleanup transcription as well. Um, a human will look at it and fix it up. Uh, I just find that it takes, it still takes a lot of time to clean it up myself. Um, so yeah. I'm not, I'm not posting my transcripts right now because it was just too time intensive. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just using them. I mean, I'm still making a transcript. It's just more that for my own, for my own notes so that I can find keywords and things like that. That's a really good You point. could, you could dictate you know, hands-free on your way home. What, you have five minutes on your way yeah. home from school every day or on your way up to Tempe or wherever you have to go once a month and just kind of like stream of consciousness it out so that you yeah, have something that's, to work that's, with later. That's a really good tip. I think that's a, I'll take that tip from you. And that was a tip that I got at the end of the semester. And that's something for me as a, as I work from home in this busy kind of multitasking life, which sometimes I have to multitask. Sometimes I have to be really concentrated. So I'm, I'm, I protect my deep thinking times and deep learning time, which I didn't before. Mm. Now I protect that time and make it really clear to everyone in the house that this is what I'm doing. Um, so that was another change working from home is if you're in an environment, you can separate and you're out those hours. But now if I have to do this like deep thinking work, I have to almost like let everyone in the environment who's at home know this is where I'm at then. So I do need, but for the, for the parts that aren't that I do need to almost like get better and accepting in my head that I can, that I can verbalize it and edit it mm -hmm. and still have it make sense. Think so of it as the 80% thing. That's the 80% thing. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, and I noticed that you use the do not disturb feature, like the focus time on your, cause sometimes I go to text. I'm like, Oh, she's in a focus time right now. I, you know, oh, you'll get so it later. Like it tells me that you'll get us that you'll get my message, but it'll be um, silent that you won't see it. So it kind yeah, of lets I'm me know. Always, I'm always not the best. Now, now that you mentioned that, uh, thank you, April, I'm going to go back and fix. So with the new updates on iOS, there's so much scheduling features. I haven't even mucked with those, but I want to. And so what ends up happening is sometimes I hit my do not disturb just like right now. And I'll forget to shut it off. Same. Yep. So I feel like I have to um, see what those new features are. And that's another thing I think with this whole environment, there is this necessity to always just, you, you have to constantly stay up to date mm -hmm. and I have to 
force myself to take the time, which I don't want to, because I have so many other things to go, Oh, I'm going to muck with my do not disturb schedule, but I right. need, to, I need to do that if I need to get whatever I need to get done. So good point. I will check that out again. I have noticed, I didn't realize that when I put, turned off the notifications on my phone that I had it paired to turn off the notifications or on my watch that it would turn off my ringer on my phone as well. That's Sometimes right. when I wasn't expecting, so I was missing calls and I was like, wow, I didn't have it silenced. Um, yeah. so I, I like it on my MacBook that the do not disturb feature, you can set a time limit. So it'll be like for one hour, for two hours right. until this evening. And that's helpful. So all right. Yeah, any final can... thoughts before we have to run out? Oh my gosh. No, this was so fun. I'm really excited to see how, you know, people engage with this and how I love listening to other people's stories of working from home. That's pretty much how I've learned. I think for all of us, how we've learned it is we Google random things. We learn from each other. We watch podcasts like this to understand. And then most it's like a lot of trial by error in your own household systems. So some of the things we can take and some of it, we've just sort of had to discover and have a tolerance for failure. That's one of my, I have, that's what I teach the kids and that I take. And I think someone said this to me the other day, they said, sometimes you teach that thing in your classroom because you're not good at it. And that's the truth. So while I teach fail forward and that acceptance of failure, which is part of entrepreneurial kind of journey, I struggle with it, which is probably why I like to teach to it because I'm teaching myself that when I'm talking about it. So in this journey of working from home, yeah, journey from working from home has been like, and some things are just not going to go right. And some things have slipped and I've over time learned to go, okay, well, you know, that doesn't make me a bad mom or a bad human. It just, I have to just move on and fix it the next time. Like I tell my kids. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's so similar to what you were saying earlier about the education bit that, you know, that model isn't going to be right for everyone. It's not going to fit every situation and what works for one person isn't going to work for the next. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that we need to like do the rose colored glasses and think that everything about working from home is perfect or the dream. Um, It's it's just different. (laughs) Yeah, it's just different. That's right. I do miss the uh, I do miss the water cooler talk, which has to be far more intentional in the online space. You know right. that when I got to connect to people and really make those relationships was in the most randomest moments. I have to go out of my way to create random moments. So maybe that's my final tip then <laughs> in the work from home environment is some of those elements get missed in relationship building, and I think you have to find spots to create that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank, okay. you. Thank you so much for inviting so me. Fun. Yeah, so, I enjoyed it's just, it. A, it's just fun to get to talk with an old friend too. So thank you so yeah, much. This is, this is really cool. I'm so impressed that you've got all this going on. It's amazing to see what all everyone has created during the pandemic. Amazing. <laughs> well, we can't wait for more opportunities with you in stomology when you've got that running. Yes. I guess I it's, it's new. How would you say it? It's next level. It's new evolution. I think the books, books and bots are going to see a lot more of, uh, I'm going to kind of pivot to the AI to a lot more of the literature and the um, STEM studies and more of the integrative kind of learning. And I hope that you're going to see a little more of it probably in the, in the next year or so. So cool. And our girls are on a team together. I think battle of the books. So we've got all these books to read. Yes. I should just have them design it. <laughs> right, so right. Much smarter. <laughs> All right. We both got to go and get our kids. Yep. So this has yep. been Rachna Mothar with April Malone and Yes, I Work From Home. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much, Rachna. Hi. Thank you for inviting me.